With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mainland Podcast, episode number 58. I am Michael Citro, managing editor from themainland.com. Joining me is Nick Morales. Nick, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Michael? I cannot complain. Uh, it's been an interesting day. As we, The day we record this, Wednesday the 20th, uh, Jason Christ was introduced today as the new head coach of Orlando City. Uh, we'll get much more into that uh, in a little bit. Um, but I guess we'll just dive right in and, and take care of some some uh, business here with the the recaps. And I'm not going to get too much into the recaps uh, since there were two games here in the last week. Uh, the New York Red Bulls uh, defeated Orlando City 2-0. Um, it was kind of an ugly match. And probably uh, the fact that Joe Bendick played well was the only reason it was 2-0. Definitely so. I, I agree. I think the standout player for Orlando City in that game was Joe Bednick. Uh, even though, you know, we didn't have the most favorable scoreline, and you usually don't say that of a of a keeper when it's 2-0. But no, um, I think the thing about that game is that that scares me is that Orlando City sort of came out without a plan. They didn't, they didn't look like a team that had any direction, and uh, that was a little scary to see. And I think that's sort of re- the reason why Orlando has made this sort of rather quick transition uh, to another coach because with performances like that and going going into games you know without a plan uh, like I said before is is a dangerous is a dangerous thing to do mm-hmm. yeah I spoke to people at the club and the, the plan was always to get someone in place by the next home game after after that Houston game right. and um, and obviously the they were able to accomplish that so kudos to the the club for for quickly going through their short list and, and uh, finding their man. Uh, the New York game was odd for a few reasons. I mean, the the decision to start Carlos Rivas as a lone striker was a, a confusing one. It, it um, certainly wanted to, you know, Bobby Murphy had a plan of, of trying to save Kyle Lahren's legs a little bit, um, you know, with the fact that they were playing a double game week and one of those games was in New York and the next one a few nights later was in Vancouver, right. opposite sides of the continent. So, that's understandable, but still, he did bring in Kyle, um, you know, to play, you know, a pretty good chunk of that game, and it might have behooved the team to try something that, you know, it's just crazy enough to work by putting Carlos Rivas on the left wing and Kyle up top, because that that combination helped the team score five goals there last year. Yeah, definitely. I think. You know, in a time of transition like that, you have to try all, all sorts of, of things. And during one of those games, we saw a player like Haji Berry on, on the right wing. So I definitely think it's something, you know, transitional. It's good to see the club and the and the people at the club sort of trying different things because you never know who might emerge as a star, not necessarily a star even, or just someone that might work out in a, in a different position or a different tactic Um in a in a variety of positions and also that that displays to whoever was going to come in um as a head coach you know who can do a job and and who won't so yeah i definitely Mm -hmm. think it's good to try things like that doesn't always come off but i'm a strong believer that you learn more from your losses you learn more from the things that don't work out than you do from the things that do work out so i think in that regard it's a positive yeah and and you know i I will never I never sit here and, and criticize a coach for trying something different. If he, certainly no coach has ever tried something different, thinking, "I really hope this doesn't work." Right. Yeah. You know, they always they always have a plan that they're trying to accomplish something. And although Bobby's plan didn't work out, uh, I think that you know he showed some courage to to go for it. And you know, certainly the team was missing some bodies, and that played into it a little bit. Uh, really didn't need Breck Shea to take a yellow card, a silly yellow card for dissent at that. 
uh, and then missed the Vancouver game. Definitely not. Uh, but that's what happened. You mentioned Joe Bendick. He was definitely my man of the match, uh, just to get that out of the way. So we're unanimous on that definitely. one. Um, not a lot getting forward um, for Orlando City. And the one time they really did have an excellent chance, uh, uh, Kevin Molino sending in Kyle Laren. Uh, Luis Robles made uh, a Luis Robles save and and kept Orlando off the score sheet. So um, save, yeah. that was uh, that was really the last gasp uh, as far as getting back in that match, and it didn't happen. So um, you know we we move on, we take our lumps and move on to Vancouver, where uh, surprisingly, uh, you know, with really a team that seems to have you know, less and less to play for, I guess, over the, the course of Bobby Murphy's brief interim tenure. Uh, a very bright game, free-flowing game from Orlando City uh, over the weekend out of Vancouver. Yeah, definitely. I think I was a, I was really impressed. I mean, impressed to some extent. I would have liked to see a win, obviously. But um, it was definitely uh, an interesting, you know, set of players going out there. Uh, like you said, you know, different players being tried in different positions. Um, I'm... Curious to hear your opinion in terms of Luke Bowden at left back. I really continue to he continues to impress me. Obviously, he provided the assist to the first goal, but I would you know like to hear your opinion on his sort of service to the team and whatnot. Uh, Luke Bowden is a player that, and I'm on the record uh, saying this before that I think Luke is not an MLS starting left back. I think that he's got some qualities that can can make him a valuable. Um, piece in terms of being a, a guy you can plug in in a, in a pinch in a variety of different positions. Um, you know, a very uh, versatile backup at a lot of different spots. But I just don't see him as a starting left back in this league, and, and especially not if you're going to have the kind of attack that Orlando City has, has tried to have and will probably continue to try to have under Jason Christ in, in terms of, of getting forward and attacking uh, that was uh, a, a nice bit of skill there from from Bowden, and he had some nice moments in the game. I, I think overall I, did, I wouldn't have graded him very high for the entirety of the game, yeah. but he certainly played well in that instance. And um, it, like you mentioned, some some players trying out some new spots. Haji Berry playing a, a right wing role that he, he was very, very dangerous in the first half and, and forced Vancouver to make adjustments in the second half to account for him, which which, you know, that's that's awesome. That's exactly what you want. You want to go in and, and you know, surprise the other team and, and be effective with what you're doing and force them to change their plan, and that's what they did. They also, uh, I think, Vancouver did not respect Darwin Saren at the beginning of that game, and they allowed him tons and tons of space to get on the ball, and he had as much space as he wanted. Um, he didn't always make, uh, you know, most of that space, but I thought that they, they really sagged off of him and tried to deny Molino the ball and tried to deny layering the ball they they roughed Laren up with both their center backs as often as they could and um and yet Orlando City found themselves in a good spot got uh, got the lead had a, a kind of a disastrous couple of minutes to surrender that lead right before the half then uh even the game up and then uh, the the crucial penalty call yeah I th- um, that was I mean it was a good call obviously it was a, definitely a penalty but that was probably mm-hmm. one of the worst penalties I've ever seen uh, taken. I don't know about you, <laughs> but he was looking at Simeon Zaza's penalty for Italy uh, from the from the Euros as probably a, a jumping off point from there. That was terrible, but yeah. Yeah, he, you could see what he tried to do, yeah. and it, it didn't come off. He wanted to go hard to the upper right corner, yeah. and he leaned way back. I, I think that on tired legs, maybe I don't have Baptiste to take that <laughs> penalty. Yeah. Uh, you know, as older as he is, and, and maybe you know he's he's not used to playing that many minutes, and he got the start. Right. So um, I think maybe I would have had Molino or Laren take that, but that's you know that's I don't I don't get paid to make those decisions. <laughs> so uh, it was it was an interesting penalty. Uh, I have seen worse. Uh, Carlos Rivas had a worse one last he year did. against FC Dallas, yeah, and uh, and then again, um, you know, David Villa obviously earlier this year had the worst I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so even great players can r- really look silly from the spot from time to time. Um, that was a key moment because Orlando City had a chance to take the lead. The other reason Orlando City didn't come away with three points is David Usted was phenomenal. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was a little bit culpable on the first goal, uh, Batista scoring on that one. It was. Uh, it did take a deflection, but you would expect Usted to still make that save. Uh, he absolutely robbed Kyle Laren and he absolutely robbed David Mateos. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I, I was sort of curious to get your input as well. I, I sort of uh, 
I sort of struggle to, to see sometimes why why Baptista is being played in that number 10. I mean, I'm, I'm aware that he can switch in and out, but to me, he's more of a guy that can really thrive up front, and it's almost like playing two strikers when you have both him and Laren um, on the field at the same time. But, you know, his impact obviously has helped Orlando City in a number of ways since coming in. He's definitely not a flop like uh, Nacharino has been to, to a large extent, but uh, to me, it's 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 he's not a midfielder, and his, his range of passing doesn't really reflect that. Uh, as a passer, he's not he's not been fantastic, but I think in that system, I think it works okay because he's he's going to be around the top of the box, and that's where he works very well. Yeah, um, I thought that he he did work well with Molino in the midfield in that in that particular game, and I thought that they were dangerous. Um, Second half, he faded as as he as you know as as his legs went away, but I think that for me the the best that this offense has looked uh, in a long time, and I think that he's a big reason why because of his vision and because of the way he reads the game and his strength on the ball and the fact that he provides a nice big target for for his teammates as well because he's not a hard guy to find out there. Definitely not. Um, the the best that I think the team has played perhaps offensively all season, he was in the number 10 role with Kaká on the left side, Molino on the right in, in at the end of that New England game. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think, you know, he can definitely add to the attack, like you said, which is interesting that you actually mentioned that because, you know, a, a key part of that is sort of players being fluid and not just sticking to a rigid formation. And I was reading something about Jason Kreiss's sort of uh, philosophy on that sort of thing, and he believes that his midfield should be very fluid. So that could be mm-hmm. good good news for a player like Baptista going forward. And I think you, you said it uh, as well just as you were speaking that, you know, Baptista isn't someone that's going to take uh, – or never was going to take a massive amount of time to take the MLS because of his physical stature. Um, mm-hmm. So I think in that sense, he definitely helps out Orlando City. What I like to see, too, is, is with Christ coming in, with him playing more uh, as a second striker, and, and the way that he and, and Laren will be able to play off each other should be interesting. Although, from what I've seen of Jason Christ's you know, formations in the past, he sort of likes to have that big target guy and then a speedier you know, guy that, that can run it, make runs Yeah, around that. Yeah. So that might bode well for Haji Berry's, uh, the rest of his season. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And, and also someone like Kevin Molina who can pick up sort of the, the scraps and link up with someone like Laren or Baptista, um, whoever he does decide to put up there or, you know, if they can be interchanged through injuries or, or whatever. So yeah, I definitely think that that's something that other players in the team that are already here can definitely thrive off of. Some awesome play from Joe Bendick again uh, against Vancouver. He made a couple of very, very key stops to to keep uh, the team in that game. And um, but you know, I thought I thought overall a very solid team effort. I think there were some some leaky point, points of the game on defense, and, and certainly some turnovers that led to some some dangerous Vancouver counters. But I think overall. That might be the most attractive football I've seen Orlando City play in quite some time. I would agree, but my main issue, and you alluded to that, you know, bet we've we've relied on our goalkeeper a lot uh, to make to come up with some great performances, and and to his to his right he has. Uh, but the issue with that is that I see is that we concede pretty consistently offset pieces, and that's something yeah. that I have a major problem with because if there's something that a team that's not really that good can get you on. What is it? It's set pieces. So mm-hmm. for me, fixing that going forward will probably be essential, and we can't lean so much on on the excellence of of Joe's saves. But yeah, no, I would agree. It's a it was a great team effort. Yeah, set pieces have, have been a, a constant thorn in the side this year, and I, and which is surprising considering how much time in the preseason was spent uh, emphasizing being better both offensively and defensively on set pieces. Right. So. Uh, you know, maybe some new blood will will change the fortunes there. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Who was your man of the match for the Vancouver draw? Um, I would probably go ahead and say that's a tough one. I might go Joe again. What are you saying? Uh, I'm kind of torn between a, a couple of offensive players. I thought that um, I thought Laren had a very strong game. Uh, he was, he certainly on the, on the equalizer made a heck of a play. I thought that he did a good job to battle, um, you know, a couple of guys, uh, Waston and, and Parker, who are very sizable guys and very physical guys. I thought he did well 
to bother them all night long and create chances. Uh, and Baptista, certainly uh, another guy who I thought, you know, he, he played very well and, and, you know, he created, he caused difficulties for the opponents. He helped his teammates become better. Uh, so one of those two guys, although it's a toss up, you can pick one or the other. Right. No. Yeah. I think in that, in that sense, I might lean towards uh, Baptista. All right. Well, uh, another draw in the end, so still not a win, but Hey, the, the team scored its first two goals under Bobby Murphy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's always and we'll, good. We'll take baby steps. Now, after, on a short rest, flying across the country, a 2-2 draw is not the worst possible outcome. Um, with so many bodies missing, Rivas having uh, issues with his with his visa, so he couldn't go to Canada, and Breck Shea missing the game with yellow card suspension and the injuries that the, the club has. Um, probably not the worst in fact, when you look at the, the, the saves that Osted made and the missed penalty, um, you, you wish you had those three points. But, you know, a draw, if you would have told us going into that game, you know, you're going to draw 2-2, we'd probably all have been pretty happy with yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's one of those things you, you like you said, you tell us 2-2 draw against Vancouver away, probably bite your hand off for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so that brings us to the Orlando Pride, which uh, they were... They were trying to get their game in before the Orlando City game, and that didn't really work out because the Lightning came into the the. Uh, this has been the the most awful year for Lightning delays that I can remember. I know, especially uh, for the women. <laughs> the women and the o- and OCB. Uh, you know, we had some we had a couple of delays last year. The Chicago game comes to mind. Uh, the Chicago Fire game was brutal. I think we were at the the arena or the stadium for about six and a half hours, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, the Pride, uh, as they did against the Boston Breakers, they came out, they kind of couldn't get forward. They weren't getting the movement they needed. They weren't getting the quick passes forward and getting in behind the defense. Um, they had a couple of chances to score, which they you know, failed to convert on early, uh, gave up a goal. And uh, you know, then the next thing you know, they're playing catch-up the whole game. But th- this time... Again, Tom Sermani comes in. He brings in his same three subs that came in against Boston. And again, right away, they were more energetic. They were better. And then we had the weather delay, and it kind of killed the momentum that that the pride had started to build. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think it's one of those things that that was something that was sort of out of out of the team's control. Like you said, it disrupted the the flow of play, and and his impact substitutes, which can be one of the most important things uh, for a team that's in a struggle. Uh, or a situation that's unfavorable for favorable for them um, mm-hmm. can can really affect the the game plan. I think maybe had it not happened, then we we wouldn't be talking about a loss. Yeah, certainly that it killed Orlando because it it, the, it was the great equalizer for Chicago because they didn't really have an answer for the fresh legs and and the energy that was that was being brought to the game by you know Christina Birkenrode, Danny Weatherholt, and um, Leah Fortune. And they they brought a great energy again to the game, and they were they were starting to to generate chances and, and get on the ball more, get forward more, and then you know once everybody sits for 45 minutes in the locker room, it sort of equalizes everyone's legs out. Yeah, I mean just to draw a little bit of a parallel to it, I you know I played uh, college lacrosse to some sort of high level, and we had some weather delays at times, and it would just take. The, take your focus really off of the game and it would be hard to sometimes it would be hard to compete for some of the players after a delay like that so it can definitely have an effect on the players but I mean going forward would you really be that worried uh, for the pride going forward with uh, with a lot of their international or a lot of their stars being being gone to international breaks and stuff like that well I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually my next point segues in just nicely the the season is quickly winding down for for the NWSL, they only you know they only play twenty games, yeah. and so it, it's all magnified. And now Orlando has four of the next five on the road, and uh, only seven games remaining. So the next three, you know, at Seattle this Saturday, at the Breakers on the thirty first, and then um, then not again until they don't play again until August twenty sixth against Washington. And I expect the internationals will be out for all three of those games. Right. This is the time when the playoff picture will either come into view or fade from view. Right. 
because if they can't get anything done with those international players gone in the next three games, then when those international players come back, it will be too late to do anything. Yeah, I agree. And I think this this could be the sort of time for those players that they weren't going to get a much of a look when, when those guys were around or those girls, mm-hmm. should I say, were around um, to really prove that they can they hold some weight in the team and make, make a strong case for themselves when they're gone and make them irreplaceable going forward. So I think it's a good opportunity for those players to do so. Um, but I, I think with the talent on display and, and the performances we've seen, like you said, from some of those substitutes, they can definitely have a sort of expectation or at least a good chance of having that playoff picture very clear in their minds. Mm-hmm. The makeshift defensive line, the back line for the Pride, came into effect a little bit. Um, it was Cammy Levin just uh, losing track of her player, uh, you know, her mark there for a split second and a great, great cross, uh, resulting in a header goal that uh, Caitlin Savage could do nothing about. And that was the only goal that they gave up. So you look at it and you go, you know, Tom Sermani put together this this back line with you know duct tape essentially, right. and it's it's only yielded uh, two goals, and one of those was really a, a goalkeeper mistake, and not really the the back line's fault. So uh, I think you'd have to say that the experiment with with Levin and and Kalen Kyle joining Presley on the back line, and also Sam Witteman, I think you have to say that's been a success for Tom Sermani so far. Yeah, I would agree. And like you said, this is a makeshift back line, and they've only conceded realistically one goal that was a defensive collective fault, right? So yeah. I think, like you said, the the weather break changed the game, and on a different day, even if they do concede that goal, they get they get it going in the in the final third, and we're we're talking about a different scoreline. Yeah, it's going to be tough this Saturday for the Pride going up to Seattle, playing the rain. And the rain, you know, obviously they're missing Megan Rapino, but they already were missing her, so that's like nothing new. Yeah. And and their goalkeeper, Hope Solo, and basically that's that's most of what what what's gone for them. They're they're a team that's built very well to survive these international breaks. They've got internationals that play on teams that didn't make the you know didn't make the uh, Rio Olympics. Right. So that's that's going to help them, and I think that one will be very very difficult to get anything from that game. I I would agree. But they need to try to get something because then they go to Boston. They got Washington at home. Uh, the schedule does set up nicely, though, when the internationals come back. If they can stay within three or four points of that last playoff spot, they will finish the final four games at Houston, which they've got three wins over Houston this year. Uh, at Sky Blue FC, that's a winnable game. Sky Blue again at home just three days later. And uh, home against FC Kansas City to finish the season on September 24th. So a favorable final four uh, you know, if you're going to have two away and two at home, that's probably about as, as good as you're going to expect uh, from the schedule makers. So the team just has to hang on right now. Yeah, and I think you know, looking at looking at the games going forward, it's not just us that are missing missing people from this international break. Um, it's Washington has a large chunk of their team that are going to be missing due to the due to the competitions in Rio. Mm-hmm. So I think that the ground can can be somewhat even by this break. It's not just us that's hurting. True. All right, so let's get to what we were going to, you know, the big news of the week, obviously, is Jason Kreis is the new head coach of Orlando City. And before we get to our guests, we we have a couple of guests coming in tonight to tell us a little bit about Jason Kreis and, and, you know, sort of what we can expect from the new head coach uh, from his days in in both Real Salt Lake and New York City FC. Uh, What were your thoughts on the hiring process in terms of, of the, not only how quickly or slowly you thought it went, but also... Uh, of the available coaches, was there anybody that you thought maybe should have should have been higher on the list than him? Because we don't actually know what the order was on their short list. But you know, what what are your overall thoughts on the hire? I have a lot of thoughts on the hire, but um, going going forward, I think uh, you know Jason Christ is probably one of the best available coaches that you can grab from an MLS perspective, and certainly from an Orlando City perspective. I mean, it was only about eighteen months ago that we were talking about this guy like he was. You know Jesus. So um, <laughs> I, I, I'm excited by his arrival from a tactical perspective because the 442 is something that I've been yelling from the mountaintops for uh, for a long time. But I was talking about a flat 442, not a diamond. But either way, I'm, I'll t- I'll take a little bit of it. But um, I, I I I think you spoke to it earlier, and and the the issue for me with a with a sort of diamond 442 is uh, 
is the width is sort of can be provided by uh, the fullbacks. And for a team that isn't the most defensively stable, uh, that might be an issue. But I think, you know, he has some time to, if I'm not mistaken, to bring in some guys uh, that can sort of implement his system a little bit better. And I, I think that we have the pieces to build that diamond and to be successful in that diamond. Players like Molino and Kaká and Higita with that sort of one defensive midfielder holding while while the rest of the guys go and attack. Um, mm-hmm. My my only issue that I see with it, and it's not really an issue, it's more of just a coaching preference, is that I like to see coaches who, who play to the opponent. They don't just go and say, listen, this is my style of football. This is what I want to play. I'm going to play it regardless. I think mm-hmm. coaches that adapt to the game and, and sort of play to their opponent, like I said, um, are going to be the best ones moving forward. And I think since Jason Christ is a relatively young, he's a relatively modern coach, I think that's something that he'll be able to do. And as someone that's familiar with uh, the City Football Group, um, I think a lot of the issues that he had at New York City FC were caused by that sort of overbearing uh, overbearing people from, from above in the organization. And as long as that's not an issue for him, then it's going to be, it's going to be a success. But you know when when you bring in someone and you and you want them to succeed and you demand that they succeed from a because this is sports the only way that you can tell that people are succeeding is with wins and sometimes that's not even enough it has to be with trophies and so when you when you bring someone in as a head coach and you want them to establish a style of football you have to let them play what they want to play you have to let them set the pieces that they want to set don't just give them an, uh, a set of players and say listen now you do your thing they ha- he has to be able to build so if they can stay out of it they can give him his room to do what he wants to do then i think this can be a successful thing i mean having an appointment like this can bring in a, bring a certain amount of stability to a club that you know, we're a little unstable at times. So those are my general thoughts on the on the hiring. All right, I had a chance to talk to Jason uh, one-on-one today at his introductory press conference or right afterwards, and and I asked him about that. I said, I said, what what was it going to take for your next, you know, for your next spot? There was a lot of speculation you would go to Atlanta or Seattle. Um, you know, Atlanta certainly there was a lot of talk about him going there, and of course Seattle. There's there's a a connection, even though there's not a job opening right now, Siggy Schmidt's team is floundering, and uh, you know he's he's got that relationship with Garth Lagerway, their their GM. So I asked him about that and what what it was going to take for his next uh, coaching stop, and he basically said that he was worried that you know if he went somewhere where he was not going to where he was going to be you know relieved of his duties again in a short period of time, like he was in New York City, he he felt like that could be the end of his MLS career, and uh, he, he was very, you know, serious and very, um, you know, uh, upfront about that and candid about that. And he he said that, uh, you know, one thing that he wanted was to be able to have certain things in place. He didn't say what those things were. He described them as X, Y, and Z. And you know, he didn't say exactly what those were. I think we can read between the lines and 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 think that at least some of that is some autonomy in terms of of people looking over his shoulder and, and also the opportunity to maybe shop for his own groceries a little bit. And he said that Orlando was going to provide X, Y, and Z. So that's uh, one of the reasons that he, he chose to come here. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, it's all about him being able to, to choose the pieces of the puzzle. If he fails with that, then that's a different story. But if he can build what he wants to build, then I'm excited going forward. I really am. Yep. I think we'll, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Obviously I think that, Fullbacks are something that's going to have to be addressed, and I think um, striker depth is going to have to be addressed uh, for, for you know to make uh, Jason Kreis's, uh preferred system work. He was very he was kind of funny today. He said he, somebody asked him about the the formation, and he said you know a lot of people talk about him in the diamond. He goes I, I didn't really invent it. I stole it. <laughs> <laughs> when he went to, to to view some games in Argentina, he. He became enamored with that style, so uh, it was it was good, and uh, you know he he just seems like a, a kind of a, a very serious, very intense, uh, passionate guy, and kind of down to earth in, in some ways too. So uh, we will see. We'll certainly track his progress as the the season unfolds. He he'll be starting on the 25th. Uh, it'll be his first day. Uh, his first actual match will be a friendly at, against Stoke City uh, in the midweek. And that's going to be an interesting um, matchup. He did mention also that he he wasn't really happy that they had the the midweek friendly his first week because he wanted to sort of let everybody know 
you know, he wanted a full week with the group so that everybody could see this is what we're going to do with a, a regular typical week. This is this is how a week under this staff looks. Right. And um, so he's not going to ha- you know be afforded that luxury. But he did mention he's going to use a lot of players and use it as as sort of a training session more than a competitive match. So, um, you know, Stoke City may get themselves a result. <laughs> but. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, we will get more into Jason Christ with our, our guests upcoming uh, right after this. Joining us this week to talk about the newest uh, addition to Orlando City head coach Jason Christ is Matt Montgomery. He's the managing editor for RSL Soapbox. They are SB Nation's Real Salt Lake blog. Uh, Matt, thanks for being with us this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I want to start out by going a little bit back into the history of Jason Christ, and, and and first off, just asking sort of what his attributes were as a as a player, because he was a star player in MLS for a long time. Yeah, I mean, he was an excellent goal scorer, right? Uh, for a time, at least, the the top goal scorer in the league. Um, I think that's probably been passed, but you know, I, I honestly can't remember. Um, but he, he displayed kind of the same characteristics. He wasn't like a huge talker, right? Uh, but he, he was resolute. He was very focused. He was very intense. And that's exactly what brought him to Real Salt Lake as, you know, in a coaching role, uh, basically graduating from, from his playing role in 2007. Yeah, he played four games that year. Um, Maybe, you know, a lot of our, our listeners, uh, you know, we've only been in MLS a couple of years. A lot of our listeners are new uh, MLS fans over just the most uh, recent few years. Um, when the team arrived, they were in USL, obviously. And, and I think at that time, some of the folks started to, to pay more attention to American soccer and may, may have been fans of Liga MX or, or the EPL or the Bundesliga. Um what was that transition year like for him? Because he played four four games, as I mentioned, that year, and then he managed the, the club the rest of the season. It wasn't great. Uh, and it, it's funny, if you look back through, say, Big Soccer, which is uh, one of my least favorite places to be on the Internet, which I know gets a little hmm. flack sometimes. Uh, but in 2007, uh, and even in 2008, uh, people were calling for his head left and right. Uh, not literally, I think, but, but you know... Uh, <laughs> thinking he was doing a poor coaching job. The 2007 season did not end particularly well, uh, didn't make the playoffs. Of course, I don't think that was the expectation set internally and among some of the more, uh, let's say, less incendiary fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but, in, you know, and it took like probably a good year, year and a half to really win people over. And, you know, in, 2009 winning MLS Cup kind of kind of sealed the deal. But until then, I think uh, there was a lot of doubt among Real Salt Lake fans. But it's worth noting that the fan base, I think, has changed significantly in those you know eight to ten years. Yeah, the, the interesting thing to me is that here's a guy who, you know, by today's standards, would not get to coach in 2008. Um, he would never have made it to that second year. I mean, I think there's a, a, a great deal of impatience. So. Kudos to Real Salt Lake's uh, management for sticking with, with Jason for you know for more than that one year because that, that could have it could have been a, a huge misstep for the franchise had they let Jason Christ go at the end of that year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the same time, you know maybe they would have found some experienced coach that that you know was good for three or four years and and moved on and but but with Jason Christ they got a. a person who was invested very deeply in the team. Um, and I, I think that's what separates him from other coaches that you see even around MLS is that that like Real Salt Lake is his home, or well, mm-hmm. it was his home, obviously. Uh, and and he was very, very clear about that. And, and everything he did you know, drove him in that direction until, say, June 2014 when he, June 2013, excuse me, uh, when he, you know, interviewed with New York City. What was the feeling in, uh, you know, amongst the fans of Real Salt Lake when when Jason did that and and, and decided to to pursue a new challenge? Yeah, I think the feeling 
you know, there, there are two fronts, really. And I think most people experienced both of them. One, uh, there was a sense of betrayal, uh, you know, because he had been there so long and he was the club's first player. And, you know, he, he talked a lot about, you know, beating the big market teams and, like, wanting to prove himself and wanting the team to prove themselves. Uh, and over time, you know, that maybe that faded a little bit. Maybe it didn't. Regardless, I think it was a great opportunity for him. Uh, the other front, I think, would be you know recognizing that it was a good opportunity for him. That you know, it's not every day that you get a club coming in willing to let you work for a year uh, without actually coaching. Um, and I, I think that sort of thing really, really drove him a little bit. He talked uh, after after signing with New York City. He did talk a little bit about how. Uh, you know, for the last year or two, he'd been talking with his wife and been had been trying to find a way to get a break from the game. Um, and I think it was a perfect opportunity for him to do that and like, seize a, a good opportunity. Now, obviously, we can talk a lot about, you know, how he did with that opportunity, and, and I'm sure you did already. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it's, you know, it's a, an interesting case at the very least. Well, Jason comes into Orlando, and, and certainly that's been met with um, you know, a, a great deal of enthusiasm by a, a, a probably the majority of the fan base, uh, but there's also that part of the fan base that's not excited about this, that thinks that here's a guy who, you know, washed out of New York City, um, you know, was away for, from the game a year, and that's what they know, you know, recency bias being what it is. Uh, is Orlando City getting the guy who didn't get things done in New York? Is Orlando City getting the guy who made it to the playoffs every year from 2008 to 2013, or is it not that simple? I mean, I guess it's not that simple, but the real answer is that I'm not sure which Jason Christ they're getting. It's hard to say, you know, how much of his success at Real Salt Lake was having a good staff around him and, and having a general manager who, who, like, really took him to task. And that's one thing, like, we talk a lot about the relationship between Garth Lagerway and Jason Christ. But the two of them were were combative at times, and they you know they get into spats, and they wouldn't talk to each other sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know it was all centered around the job. But but Jason was fiery and intense, and and I, I guess I just don't know how that relationship played out in New York. If he tried to be less intense, if he tried to be more accommodating, you know, because he was you know on a high salary at a, a big club, uh, you know quote you can put quotes around that if you want, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, a club owned by Manchester City is always going to be bigger than Real Salt Lake, sadly, uh, which brings me no happiness at all. But that being <laughs> what it is, uh, so it it really depends, I think, on how he forms those relationships, um, you know, and how supportive and patient they are, you know, with those tendencies. And if they still exist, it's it, I think that was what made him special was that intensity, and you see that with with great coaches around the world. They're they're intense, and they'll you know they'll have those those moments where you just they're hard to work with. Yeah, right. Um, Matt, the I guess the question I have I'm not obviously I'm not going to you know being the fact that that RSL is in the other conference it's it's not probably fair to me to ask what you think of the personnel here and how they fit into uh, Jason's system. But, you know, maybe if you do have some thoughts on that, that would be uh, good for our listeners to hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what his system will look like. Uh, everyone talked a lot about the diamond, obviously, and that, that was a hallmark of his time at, at Real Salt Lake. But I, mm-hmm. I became convinced during his tenure that that was just because of the players he had in the system. Uh, he had experimented a little bit with other formations, uh, you know, once or twice a year, kind of in the middle of the season, to try to, like, liven things up. And it usually did not work particularly well. Um, <laughs> but I, that's something that you get whenever you try to change things in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to say, like, what personnel he needs, but I, I think there will probably be a strong desire on his part to make his mark with, you know, one or two players. Uh, that that sort of like become the hallmark of the system at Real Salt Lake. It was Kyle Beckerman and Javier Morales, both of whom had positions that were you know that sort of elevated them from from the statuses of, of other players around them. 
like Kyle Beckerman as that defensive midfielder, uh, was able to play like the holding role, but also get involved and, and, you know, have those nuances. And Javier Morales in the, in the, at the top of the diamond was given almost a free role. And, and that's all changed over time for those players, um, without Jason Christ. And they're still successful, but, but certainly not to the same level. So I, I think what you should look for is Jason Christ finding those players in Orlando. And I don't know if that means, like, maybe it means he plays the diamond and Kaká's at the base in a, you know, some sort of half defensive, half not actually defensive role. Maybe it's something more nuanced. Maybe he goes and tries to play with wingers. Um but he's coming into an established system, and that's you know that's also going to, going to be I think a very interesting part of this. What do people in Salt Lake City think about this hiring? I think they get it. Uh, he was he's probably the the best American coach who's readily available. Um, he's you know he's ambitious, but at the same time there was always thought that maybe he was going to stay in the U.S. and eventually work up to the national team. You know, I've heard some people talk about how maybe, <laughs> excuse me, maybe he should have, you know, kept working with the national team. He'd done that in recent months, uh, and maybe move into a coaching role at some point. And of course, there are others who want Jeff Kassar at Real Salt Lake fired and Jason Christ brought in. I don't think there was ever much of a chance of that. Uh, even if we were to look for a new coach, I don't think Jason Christ would apply for the job in in any sense. Yeah, you can't go home again, I think that was the famous saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Matt, thanks so much for being with us this week. We we really appreciate your thoughts on Jason Christ. This has obviously been a bit of a whirlwind week for us. The the you know, the the announcement that he was the favorite and in advanced talks came just really quickly before the announcement and we were all kind of surprised when the announcement came uh, just Basically, maybe 90 minutes to two hours after Ivis uh, Galarsep, uh, you know, put it out there that he had been signed, and wasn't expecting that. Was expecting more of a press conference to be held and then the big announcement to be made. But the club went ahead and they announced it, and, uh, and then of course today we we had uh, the uh, press introductory press conference at uh, at the Abbey downtown, and it was it was interesting. It was a lot of people there, and a lot of people are interested and excited to to see this new. Uh, this new look Orlando City gets started because um, we've only had the one coach. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it, it, it's a great opportunity for you. It's a great opportunity for him, and you know, I, I wish him a lot of success in the role. Uh, obviously, if it comes down to MLS Cup or the Sporting Shield, then it's you know, UNS. Then I think I know where my allegiances lie. But <laughs> at the same time, it's nice to see him like get back on his feet, and I think he can do really well. All right, Matt Montgomery, the managing editor for RSL Soapbox. Thanks so much for being on the Mainland Podcast, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, uh, joining us now is Raf Naboa y Rivera from Hudson River Blue. Raf, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Doing great. I, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us about our new coach a little bit. Um, Jason Kreiss, and I just want to start out by asking you, you know, sort of what what were your overall impressions of Jason Kreiss as as both a person and a coach over the uh, the year that he was in New York City? Um, thought he, I thought he was a great person. Um, uh, I thought he was an okay enough coach. Um, clearly, City Football Group didn't share my opinion. Um, I, I thought I, I, he could have done a better job. He could have done a better job. I think towards the end, um, I think the job got a little bit away from him. Um, and I think he lost the locker room. Uh, I think that was clear. I think um, CFG ostensibly fired him because he didn't make the playoffs, um, mm-hmm. the team's inaugural season. I think um, if you read between the lines, I think that's a little bit of face-saving um, fiction if you will, um, the real reason was that um, none of the three designated players, you know, whether it's David Villa, Frank Lampard, or Andrea Pirlo, um, bought into him. And I think, uh, I, you know, and he clearly lost the locker room. I think, you know, definitely by the end of his time um, 
at NYCFC at New York City, um, the team just definitely wasn't buying into whatever it was he was trying to establish um, in the Bronx. And so they made the decision to, um, you know, to cut him loose and, you know, and decided to, um, and decided to go in a different direction, which, you know, they did with bringing Patrick Guerra and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and clearly that's worked out for them, um, as you can see. Um, we'll see. We'll see what the standings look like at the end of the season. Obviously, I think it's a. Um, I think we're heading towards the tail end of the season now. Um, you know, thirteen, you know, twelve, thirteen games left. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, start holding any parades or anything yet. But clearly, <laughs> uh, clearly, you know, he's had a lot, you know, a lot more success than Christ had last season. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's the thing. That would be that would be my quick, um, forty-five second sort of uh, sort sort of take on Christ. <laughs> uh, hey, Raf, it's Nick here. I just wanted to go ahead and ask you. Um, you know, from a uh, from a club and organizational perspective, I think one of the main issues with Orlando City is is sort of inter, uh, interference from from guys up top. And obviously, you mentioned uh, the interference from from City Football Group in Jason Kreis's sort of only year at uh, New York City FC. So, how big of a role do you do you think that 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 took in in his time in New York City? I mean, I know you spoke a little bit to that, but you, do you think that's going to be a major um, implication in his time at Orlando City, or do you think that's something that he can get past? Uh, we'll see. I, you know, clearly. I, the thing that was really strange, I think, was that um, was that CFG hired him. They sent him to um, to Eastlands to you know to Manchester City to basically get inculcated in the city way, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he basically spent um, essentially an entire season um, at Manchester City, basically hanging out with Patrick Vieira, um, hanging out um, as sort of like you know, sort of like youth team coach, system coach, sort of soaking in um, all things Manchester City, um, came back and then, you know, they sort of cut him loose, you know, just a year in, um, which I think, you know, that's great that he got that training, um, but it, it seemed all a bit wasteful to me um, because it was very clear that um, he was not the head guy in charge in terms of transfers, in terms of acquiring players and that sort of thing. Um, and I think that definitely showed when it came to the building of the team, um, Mm -hmm. particularly last season, because you sort of had Orlando city and you had New York city. Um, and so a lot of, you know, Orlando city definitely brought over some guys from USL squad. Um, yeah, and they were a lot more deliberate in terms of, you know, who they brought over, was, um, you know, and who they signed and that sort of thing. Whereas New York City, you know, got a bunch of guys through the expansion draft, and they sort of were very herky jerky about how they went ahead and built the team. And they're really, um, and the other thing, obviously, you can't um, really discount sort of the nuclear implications of the fiasco that was the Frank Lampard. In right. Because, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, Ralph, because I was going to ask you about that. It's like, how much of his, of, of Jason Christ's lack of success can be, can be, you know, sort of, you know, dr- drawn back to not only Frank Lampard's uh, very late arrival and injury plagued, uh, whatever half a season or less, whatever you want to call it, Andrea Pirlo coming over and taking a few, you know, taking the normal amount of time to acclimate to to MLS and and sort of the mixed discarude, uh, where do I play him conundrum. Right. Um, right, because I was actually going to bring up the whole mixed discarude thing. Because first you had Frank Lampard, right? So you signed David Villa, right? Um, and then mm-hmm. you signed Frank Lampard. And I remember talking, because um, I, I still remember that press conference like, um, like it was yesterday, um, because of all the fanfare, and and through for all and just you know you know all the you know celebratory 
stuff that was, you know, arrayed around it. Um, because Frank Lampard, you know, the club will never um, admit to this nowadays, um, <laughs> clearly. But Frank Lampard was clearly meant to be the face of the franchise, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, when his when his stay was extended, you know, the team was basically gutted because he was basically supposed to be the centerpiece. And so, you know, Frank Lampard's stay, you know, becomes extended sort of like on the DL, on the down low, um, on December 31st. You know, they were sort of really kind of hoping to sneak that by everybody, you know, which mm-hmm. obviously that was never going to happen. Um, and so they then signed Bix Discarude, um, and they signed him to a whopper of a deal. They signed him to a four-year, 700 to a four-year deal, um, supposedly, um, at $750,000 um, per year, which is basically like a, another DP deal. Um, yeah. You know, for a player that was that's never really supposed to rate that kind of money ever. Um, and it was clearly meant to be sort of like, a, okay, we signed Mick Siskiru, please forget about the whole like Frank Lampard thing, right? <laughs> um, and then when, when it was clear that... Um, you know, that the whole Frank Lampard thing wasn't going to happen and that, you know, Mixed Discrude clearly wasn't going to live up to to the value of that deal. Then they signed, you know, Andrea Pirlo, you know, and and I remember writing those articles last year basically being like, wait, this midfield just absolutely makes no sense. Like, this is not the kind of midfield that any coach, you know, would design. And so you actually, like, if I had to cast a, a vote for coach of the year in MLS, like... Hands down, it's got to be Patrick Vieira, because Patrick Vieira has somehow made a midfield with Frank Lampard and Andrea Pirlo work out. You know, yeah. like think yeah. about it for a second. Like he has made a that midfield work out in a way that just defies imagination, right? Mm. Um, so, um, so clearly he wasn't really set up to succeed, and clearly. You know, those aren't players that he wouldn't have ever signed. You know, maybe he would have signed Andrea Pirlo. Maybe he would have signed Frank Lampard. But clearly he would never have signed both. Okay? So, yeah, that's a clear thing. The caveat is, and I really hope that um, that this time around, you know, he did a much better job of getting these assurances. Um, because I remember talking, you know, trying to get the, the scoop on this. And, you know, his folks were saying, you know, that he was – you know, clearly told one thing, you know, led to believe one thing, and clearly that wasn't the case, mm-hmm. um, you know, after his firing, you know, which always happens after something like that. Um, I, you know, I, I really hope that, you know, for the sake of everybody concerned, that um, that your guys' owner really lets him do his thing, you know, whether that's um, Philip Rollins, um, you know, De Silva, you know, whoever else is basically, you know, owning the franchise, you know, lets him, you know, basically, you know, build the kind of team, um, flesh it out, um, and get the kind of players that he needs to get in order to, to build a team. I mean, I, I honestly think that Orlando is honestly not that far away. Um, I think I do think that there's an element of dysfunction there, just because I think, you know, there's a pl- there's no sense of like a plan. Um, and I think, you know, that's in flux. And I think, you know, when you bring a guy like Christ in, you're bringing him in because he has an idea of what because you're buying into his idea of what you want that team to look like. Um, mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, then you have to give him a chance to architect that. You have to give him a chance to build that, you know. And if mm-hmm. you don't yeah. do that, then then respectfully, you might as well not bring him in, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but if, you know, if you, if your guys' Brazilian owner is the guy really calling the shots, you know, if, you know, he's not, you know, if what he really wants to do is, is, is he wants to bring in, you know, a Brazilian coach, I, I don't think that's a great idea um, because, quite frankly, there really aren't that many good Brazilian coaches out mm-hmm. there. Right. You know, Brazil just has not distinguished itself in terms of coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, over the last you know thirty years, let's say, um, then you know that's a, that's just a category. Of it. 
you know. No. Yeah, no, I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, in terms of uh, allowing, if you're going to bring somebody in, you might as well allow them to do what they want to do. But right. um, like you, like you spoke to, uh, he had he has to architect his idea. So tactically, uh, from a tactical tactical perspective, what would you say? What would you say is a crisis? Probably his identity as a, from a tactics point of view. Is it is it uh, more of a defensively focused system? What what are what should Orlando City fans expect when it comes to on the field play with 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 our new coach? I, I think this season, you know, you don't really have a lot. You don't really have all the pieces to do what he what Price wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and those pieces really weren't there last season either um, in terms of New York City um, historically. What he did at at RSL was he built one he built a really good, solid, cohesive, offensively oriented, possession based um, squad. So he's you know if you like attractive um, you know soccer that's based around you know holding on to the ball that's you know that's not counter attack based but you know is instead based. Around holding on to the ball, you know, building up the attack from the back, you know, sort of based around, you know, a variation, you know, what they call the diamond four four two. Yeah. Um, in this case, you're looking at a, you're looking at a, at a variation of the four four two, that you'd be that would be described as sort of a narrow diamond four four two, where you yeah. have sort of a back four um, with a guy, you know, with a sort of defensive midfielder you know, holding midfielder at the bottom, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got two two guys who are acting as sort of your shuttlers, you know, as your left and right mids, and then you've got a number 10 up top um, acting as sort of your creator, and then you've got two forwards, you know, acting obviously as your forwards. Um, that's basically what, what he's going to try to do. Um, how many of those pieces you guys have? Um, that's a little bit less clear to me. Um, I think you do have a good chunk of those pieces, certainly more than New York City did or does um, at this time. I think they're a little bit further along now. Um, but then, you know, Price is also the kind of guy who he's not really going to um, – where Vieira is – Vieira and really CFG, I think if you look at what CFG is going to do, um, you know, I, I think it's by now really clear that New York City is probably going to be the most internationally – oriented team in the league um, in terms of, you know, they're going to have the most international players. Um, you know, if there's going to, if there's going to be an MLS team, that's going to field um, an all international 11 um, man squad. It's probably going to be New York city FC, um, <laughs> you know, and a lot of people would describe good, bad, you know, sort of like a value judgment. I, I wouldn't, um, that's just how it is because that's how they're structured. Um, they're not really set up to do um, scouting within the United States. I mean, that's not really like a strength of theirs. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's going to be a strength of theirs down the line. But at, you know, at this point in time, not so much. Um, on the contrary, I think that's definitely going – that's definitely, I think, a strength of Orlando City because you guys were a USL team. So you have roots in the community. Mm-hmm. You have roots you know, in the southeastern U.S., in Florida, right? Um, yep. and, and I think Christ, you know, as an MLS coach, as a guy who was an MLS player, um, as a guy who has those networks already within the league, you know, amplifies those strengths. And I think um, that's what you're going to see a lot more of. Um, and I think, you know, rather than, than randomly investing in guys like, you know, Antonio Nozarino, um you know, which I th- always thought was really just kind of a random purchase yeah. by Orlando City. I think rather what you're going to end up seeing is a lot more, um, a lot more of the players that um, that RSL used to get. A lot more of like your Javier Morales, Alvaro Salarios, you know, so sort of like you know a Brian Rochez type purchase yeah. on steroids, you know, because right. clearly Orlando City has the kind of resources that, uh, that RSL never had. Yep. You know? Rafa, before, so, before, you know what, you um, know, again, if he has the opportunity to build that company. Yeah, the, the interesting thing actually is they Go think ahead. that this, 
his sir his his system sort of probably will fit um, Nocharino better than than Adrian Heath actually. But uh, uh, do absolutely appreciate your input. Before we let you go, I I just wanted to know sort of um, you know what people in New York think of this signing uh, by Orlando City. Um. <laughs> uh, opinion is divided. I, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people were happy to see him go. Um, and I think a lot of people felt that he got done, he was done dirty a little bit. Um, they wouldn't have been sad to have been get, to have seen him gotten a second chance, you know, like another season, so to speak. Right. Um, I think um, I think New York City fans tend to again. This is like, you know, I think New York City fans tend to have a little bit more of an attitude of like, okay, we want to have those stars. We want to have those kinds of um, those kind of coaches. I think you know when they got a coach like Patrick Vieira, um, I think the um, you know they were happy to get a guy like that because you know he fit their idea of what a guy who should coach New York City should be. You know, a legend of the game, that sort of thing. Price mm-hmm. didn't necessarily fit that, so to speak. Um, although I always thought that Price, you know, was a, you know was a solid coach. I just thought mm-hmm. that he was a little bit overawed by the situation a little bit, especially towards the end. Well, Ralph Naboa e. Rivera from Hudson River Blue, our sister blog over at SB Nation Soccer that covers New York City FC. We appreciate you coming on and, and giving us your thoughts on on Jason Christ. We got the we got the Rail Salt Lake view a little earlier and now we got your view so uh, we're hearing it from both sides got to hear both sides as they say on the internet mm-hmm. and we appreciate you stopping by All right. thanks for having us well that's almost going to do it for uh, episode 58 of the mainland podcast definitely want to thank our guests uh, most recently Raf Naboa E. Rivera from Hudson River Blue the New York City FC blog here at SB nation and uh, also matt montgomery the managing editor for rsl soapbox they cover real salt lake of course we really appreciate their input on uh all things jason christ and it's good good to have that balance and the uh the back and forth so we we can get sort of both views from the two teams that he previously was head coach of in mls um before we get out of here obviously nick we have got to talk about this weekend and we've got uh, a very big game ahead against the Columbus Crew. Orlando City really could use some points. Uh, it's another road trip, third in a row. And um, so Columbus is an interesting story because Orlando played them four times last year in all competitions. Uh, won two of them, uh, drew one, and lost. And the loss was at Columbus, which is a difficult place to play. Definitely. And I think... Um just looking at sort of their preferred formation being four two three one, with ours being so as well. Um, interesting little tidbit, if the <laughs> listeners care. Uh, the the you know sort of in Spanish football they tend to square off in four two three one versus four two three one, and it can it can end up being a, a battle of who's better in that specific position. So I think in terms of battles and and what to expect from this match, it's going to be a a one v one situation a, a lot of the time, and who's better in that specific position. So what's your key matchup for the game? Um, I would definitely say the midfield battle is going to be intense. It's going to be whoever we decide to put out there with Orlando City putting a, a, a variety of midfielders out there uh, in the past few games. Uh, I definitely think, you know, Igita versus uh, Tachani and Trap are gonna, is going to be some, uh, something that is, is going to define the game. That's a whole lot of defensive midfielders right there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that my key matchup uh, for me, I think the, the very important thing is that Orlando City, although two game, two two goals at Vancouver, the previous three games, no goals. So I think goals are seriously still an issue for this offense. And so my sort of my uh, take on this is um, is that Orlando will probably not be getting a lot of goals in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they get any, it would be nice to get a couple past Steve Clark. But... Um, you know, in terms of if they do manage to get one or two in, the big thing is going to be obviously keeping Columbus off the board. And so f- for that reason, I'm going to go with our two center backs uh, against uh, Ola Kamara. Definitely. 
Uh, Kamara has been on fire since since joining MLS. He's been a very dangerous player, and I think that he's and since you know this team hasn't seen him yet, uh, he could create all kinds of problems. So I'm I'm really anxious to see how uh, Seb Hines and David Mateos uh, how that partnership uh, deals with Kamara. And and again, they've been very very solid in the run of play the last couple of games, but not on set pieces. Yep, always a problem for us, especially this year. <laughs> you got a score prediction for me? Uh, I'm going to go... I'm going to be... What am I going to do here? I'm going to say 1-1, one, one, actually. Okay. Who's getting the goal? Who's getting the goal? Um, you know what? Baptiste's been good, so why not? Yeah, that's true. All right, you know, you stole my thunder a little bit. I was also going to say 1-1. One, one. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm... I, I think I'm on record of saying I'm not going to... I'm not going to uh, predict anything better than a draw until something better than a draw happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I, this team doesn't score a lot of goals, so I think, but they also always seem to concede. So I'm going to say one, one seems a likely potential outcome uh-huh. or, you know, they, they could just get body slammed, yeah, but I uh, hope not. Columbus hasn't been quite as good this year, obviously, as they were, uh, last year when they made their run to, to MLS cup final. Right. Um, I think though that they can probably Put one behind uh, Joe Bendick at some point, and and we'll we'll look at a one-one. I'm, I I think Molino. It's time for him to get another goal. I mean, I hope so. I love seeing him score. Yeah. So I think it's time. He's he's been close a few times, but um, you know, I think it would be helpful if if the team would get something from some other sources. You know, some some set piece goals, maybe a Seb Hines's header or something. Um, you know, that's I think that's really the key. I think MLS a lot of the problems. Uh, or the, or the I shouldn't say problems, but I think a lot of the um, outcomes are kind of decided on who's who scores unexpectedly. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. I think everybody, you know, you know, you get you play New York City, you expect you know Via will probably get one, or or maybe Lampard, or maybe you know um, Harrison. Yeah, Harrison. But, yeah, Jack Harrison. But, yeah, but you, but you know, if they get one from Moderita. It makes them even stronger, obviously, right? Yeah, because you know, coming from an unexpected spot. So, you know, I think that's what kind of has been missing for Orlando City when you look down the scoring uh, list this year. Is you're not seeing, you know, goals by you know Mateos and and Alston and guys like that. You know, you're not seeing Higita and Saren chipping in with some some timely goals, uh, the way you know they get them in in New York. You know, with the Red Bulls with their defensive midfielders. So, I think that. That's kind of one of the reasons where I learned Orlando has has gotten so many draws this year is that the the expected scorers are scoring and the unexpected ones are not. So, uh, you know, or at least not very often. So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, people know who's generally going to score in Orlando City, and if they do a good job job of shutting them down, then we're probably not getting any past them. So yeah, exactly. It's kind of it's going to be a lot tougher anyway. Uh, so anyway, that'll do it for episode 58 of the Mainland Podcast. We really appreciate you listening. Again, thanks to Raf Naboa E. Rivera uh, from Hudson River Blue and Matt Montgomery from RSL Soapbox. Thanks so much for being our guests on this episode 58. Please uh, read our stuff at themainland.com. Follow us on uh, Twitter, at The Mainland, and, of course, like us on Facebook. And uh, we, uh, we appreciate Anything you could do for us, especially if it's leaving us a really nice uh, review on iTunes, that'd be really great because that, that helps us out quite a bit. And uh, we appreciate you listening to this Mainland podcast. We'll be back next week to basically welcome Jason Christ to his first you know work week uh, as a as a, an employee of Orlando City SC. And we'll talk about this Columbus Crew match. We'll talk about the pride and the rain, and uh, we will look ahead to the midweek friendly against Stoke City and also a pretty big game against New England, which will be uh, the first game of the Christ era uh, in MLS. So uh, on behalf of of staff writer Nick Morales, I'm Michael Citro, the managing editor of the mainland, signing off saying, Go City!